The word amazed is defined as to overwhelm with surprise or sudden wonder, to astonish someone. We so often in the Bible read that the disciples were amazed at the things that Jesus did. You know, the funny thing about being amazed is there are things that are amazing to some people that are not amazing to other people, right? For example, I remember uh, watching Barry Sanders play football. You know, Barry Sanders was is the best running back I've ever seen in my lifetime. And one day he just woke up. I guess he rolled out of bed and decided he was finished with football. But, man, I'm telling you, when he ran with the ball, he could torque his body. He could run full speed. He could stop and bend and move. And he honestly looked like a video game when he ran the ball. And I was amazed at just the way he ran the ball and how he could just change directions literally on a dime. I was amazed the very first time I held my granddaughter in my hand. It was an amazing, amazing feeling. But for some people, it's amazing when you make it through a meal without spilling something on your shirt. Or maybe it's amazing that first night your child actually slept through the night. You know, we are amazed at different things. I'm amazed, for example, when I go to a movie of the special effects and how realistic they look. But for some people, they don't care about that. And so while there are some things that amaze me that may not amaze you and vice versa, the question that we're going to try to answer for the next two weeks is what is it that amazes Jesus? Now, some of you would be tempted to say, well, nothing amazes Jesus because he knows everything. But the truth is, there are two times in the Bible where we're told that Jesus was amazed. And so we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at the answering the question, what amazes Jesus? And so this morning, we're going to begin our journey in Luke chapter 7. Uh, can I encourage you also to look in Matthew chapter 8, where there you will find the exact same story uh, from a different perspective, but it's the same story. Um, I encourage you to read that, you know, at, at your leisure. But as we dive into Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus is coming off of the Sermon on the Mount, and he's gone to Capernaum, and that's where things pick up, beginning in verse 2. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So let's stop for a moment and kind of dissect this because there's a lot of contradictory pictures that are kind of coming to play here. The first thing that comes to play is we have a Roman centurion, a soldier, the enemy of Israel, who is asking the Jewish leaders for help because he has a slave that either he cares about deeply or is valuable to him, whatever the case may be. He cares so much about this slave that he sends these Jewish elders to Jesus. This is not the image we have of Roman soldiers. The image we have of a Roman soldier is someone who would just as soon spit on you as run a spear through you, and honestly, might do both at the same time. Roman soldiers were brutal and sadistic, yet this man shows some compassion for his slave. Now, 
Jesus is on the radar of Rome, and so they're paying attention to him. So he knows who Jesus is as this story will unfold. We're going to understand that he sees Jesus in a whole different way. Now, the other part of this story that's interesting are the Jewish leaders, the rabbis. They go to Jesus on behalf of this Roman soldier, this Roman soldier who is an enemy of Israel in every way imaginable, yet they go to Jesus on his this man's behalf, and they go to a man that they don't really trust or care about. I mean, these guys don't care about Jesus, but man, they care about their position with this official. And their rationale to Jesus is really simple. He's a nice guy. He deserves our help. He builds stuff for us. He built the synagogue for us. I mean, he does nice things for us. He deserves your help. So will you come and heal his servant and help his servant? And verse 6 tells us that Jesus went with them, right? And so you have all these things that are taking place. But this is where things really get interesting. So picking up at the end of verse 6, we see these words. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. Now, as we stop here and look at this, this seems like an absolute contradiction to what just happened. Because on the surface, it looks like the the soldier sent the Jews to bring Jesus to the house. But the truth is, when you study this event from Luke's perspective and Matthew's perspective, and you dive into the original context of the Greek, we discover that it was never the intent of the Roman centurion to have Jesus come to see him. He never intended for Jesus to come. And so when he finds out that Jesus is on the way, he says, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, don't, I didn't want you to come. Man, I'm not worthy to come to you. That's why I didn't come to you in the first place. I mean, I'm not worthy for you to to come to my house. I'm not worthy to stand with you. But I think what's taking place here, if we kind of strip this down and we understand the history of the Jews and and Jesus, is that they most likely needed to see a show. They wanted to see Jesus do something. They wanted Jesus to owe them. They wanted him to do a solid for them because this guy was really nice. Now, you know, the truth is there's nothing wrong with with asking Jesus to come. There's nothing, certainly not wrong with Jesus showing up. And the truth is we live in a world where sometimes we look for a sign from people, right? I mean, we, we pray and we pray and we pray. I can't tell you how many times I've been guilty of saying, Lord, if you want me to do this, if you want me to do it, you got to show it to me. I remember uh, as a kid standing out in my yard before a baseball game, and I would throw the ball up in, my, in, in the air, and I would throw it up 10 times, and I would, you know, and I said, Lord, if I catch all 10 of these balls, that's a sign that we're going to win the game, and I'm going four for four. And you throw the ball up in the air, and then you start doing crazy things, right? Because you want to make it competitive and interesting. So you start catching the ball behind your back or between your legs. And, and I remember doing this so many times before a baseball game when I was growing up. And I throw the ball up, and I catch one, two, three, four, five, and then I drop one. Well, that's a sign, right? No, I would always say, all right, I'm going to start over again, Lord. That didn't count. That was a warm-up. You see, sometimes, sometimes... 
We want a sign from Jesus because we want to know that he's in something. We want to know that he's going to be there. Sometimes we ask for a sign because if he doesn't give us a sign or or things don't work out, we're just looking for a way out. But sometimes, like in the case of Gideon, when the Lord sent an angel to him and said, we need you to lead a rebellion. And Gideon said, I'm not going to do that until the Lord makes it clear. I need a sign. And the Lord gave him a sign. Then Gideon said, that's not enough. I need one more. And then the Lord gave him another sign. Sometimes, like Gideon, we're not looking for a way out. We're just looking for absolute clarity. Lord, if you're in this and I want to make sure that I'm doing what you want me to do. And so I need you to just make this clear for me. That's not what the Jews are doing. The Jews are looking for Jesus to do something really cool and special. But this event highlights the difference in the faith the Jews have in Jesus, the faith the disciples have in Jesus, and how a Roman centurion, a Gentile, sees Jesus. The message from the Roman centurion is really simple. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. You see, that's all the centurion wanted. He just wanted Jesus to say the word. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have the authority over my soldiers. I only need say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. If I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. You see, there's something different about this soldier he sees something in jesus that the jews didn't see the rabbis don't see the crowds don't see the disciples don't see he sees in jesus a man with authority but not just authority a man under kingdom authority you see the roman soldier the centurion this captain recognizes that jesus is operating at a different level He's operating under the authority of the kingdom of heaven. He understands authority because he's a man under authority. This Roman soldier understands that if he tells a hundred soldiers to stand their ground against 10,000 invaders, they will stand their ground because when he gives an order, he gives the order with the full weight of Rome. It's as if the emperor himself is giving the order. And so his soldiers understand when he gives an order, it is as if Rome is speaking. There's a, there's a legendary story of a, of a Roman salt captain who was going to take uh, the city, this walled city, and, and his force wasn't very large. And they asked the, they, he asked the city elders to, to surrender, and they refused. And so the, the, the legend, the story goes that this Roman soldier began, marched his men over to a cliff and ordered them, and one by one they marched to their deaths. Until they realized, until the city elders realized that they had no choice but to surrender because this man operated under the authority of the Roman Empire. And if his soldiers would give their lives Just to prove a point, imagine how fierce they would be in battle. This man saw in Jesus kingdom authority. He saw Jesus for who he was, and he understood if Jesus said his servant would be healed, he would be healed. 
He understood if Jesus refused to heal his servant, his service would not be healed. He understands authority. And he sees it in Jesus. And folks, when we see the authority of Jesus, that he operates under the kingdom authority of the kingdom of heaven, when, we, when our faith in, in the Lord is based on not what he's done or will do alone, but for who he is, for who he is, that is a game changer. Consider this. The faith of this centurion is not measured by the stories he's heard about Jesus. Man, but the truth is, that's a powerful reason to have faith. How often have you seen Jesus work in your life? How often have you seen the Lord work in someone's life? How often do we read in Scripture these amazing things the Lord has done? And in faith, because we've heard the stories or experienced them for ourselves, it drives us to have a faith and trust in Jesus because he's done it before. But this man is not driven by faith because of the stories he's heard. His faith is not measured in what Jesus has done. And once again, when you consider what the Lord's done in your life, when it comes time, when you come to a crossroads to trust him, man, that's a powerful reason to have faith. But if your faith is just, met, is just founded on what Jesus has done, what you hope he will do, or the stories you hear from other people. The truth is, sooner or later, your faith may take a left turn because the Lord may not show up in the way you want him to show up. But this soldier, his faith in the Lord was different. His faith is measured in the authority under which Jesus operates, a kingdom authority. And that takes faith to an entirely different level. The question is, what kind of faith do you have in Jesus? Is it just based on what he's done? Is it just based on what you hope he'll do? Is it based on stories that other people have told you? Or is your faith driven by the reality of who he is, the son of the creator, savior of the world, lord of lords, and king of of kings. What amazes Jesus? Let's take a look. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowds that followed him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. When the officer's friends returned to the house, they found the slave completely healed. Folks, the text tells us that when they returned home, that at the moment Jesus said he was healed, that's when he was healed. Something happened, something happened here. It wasn't the first time Jesus healed somebody. It wasn't the first time Jesus healed somebody from far away, and it wouldn't be the last time. Something different. A Roman soldier, a Gentile, who asked Jesus to heal, who was most likely a Gentile slave. For the first time in recorded history, Jesus was amazed. So what amazed Jesus? Jesus was amazed by faith driven by kingdom authority. You know, 
This servant, this Roman soldier wasn't the first person to send someone to Jesus, wasn't the first person to go to Jesus, right? Jairus, the servant of the high priest, risked his reputation and his job, his position, his standing to go to Jesus on behalf of his daughter. The crowds that came to be healed when Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, the 8, 10, 12,000 people that he fed that day. Many of them traveled 10, 15, 20 miles, and they traveled all this way just to be healed by Jesus. The blind called out to, to be healed by Jesus, and he did. Lepers asked Jesus to heal them, and he did. And what about the woman who pushed through the crowd? The woman who had the bleeding issue, whose faith was so strong that she said, if I just touch his coat... His shirt. I know I'll be healed. The truth is, Jesus did amazing things all the time. The Jews, they were amazed by Jesus. But they were so often amazed by Jesus, the traveling showman. I mean, that's what they would, how they would see him. The miracle worker, the healer, the teacher. That's how they saw Jesus. He was the guy, he was a traveling sideshow who did amazing things that no one could explain. And they liked to watch, to see the show. I believe, in my opinion, it's why the Jewish leaders asked, wanted Jesus to go with them. Because they needed to see the show. Because their faith was going to be driven by what they saw Jesus do. But this Roman soldier didn't need Jesus to show up. He just needed him to say the word. Because he had a faith driven by kingdom authority. We live in a time of uncertainty. People are afraid. Coronavirus is, is wreaking havoc. We're in a, in a testy political season. So folks, I want you to consider some things. In a time of uncertainty, in a time of fear, in a time of this great unknown, why do we worry about the things which we cannot control if we really believe in the kingdom authority of Jesus? Why do we treat our possessions as if they're ours? If we believe in the kingdom authority of Jesus who says that everything we have is on loan from him. Why do we carry burdens in this life we were not equipped to carry if we believe in the kingdom authority of Jesus? You know, I shared with you uh, a while back in a series we did just recently That when I pray and Jesus responds to my prayer, I'm not shocked by that. I'm not, I'm not shocked that when I pray, folks, when you pray, you should expect the Lord to do what you ask him to do. When you pray for something, you should believe the Lord's going to do it. So we shouldn't be shocked by the things the Lord does. I'm not shocked at what the Lord does. I'm not shocked that he, how he answers prayers. You know what amazes me? What amazes me that Jesus would even answer my prayer. I am amazed that he would come into this world and die on the cross for someone like me. I'm amazed that Jesus cares so deeply 
and loved so fiercely someone like me. It's honestly overwhelming when you think about how fiercely Jesus loves you and how he proved it on the cross. I want Jesus to be amazed at how my faith. I want to live my life in a way that the King of Kings takes notice. We are entering a time of great uncertainty in our country. We are also entering a time of of excitement in our church family as we begin the next chapter. And we prepare to jump off the ledge literally as we begin this building project. So in a season of uncertainty, here's the question. Will you give Jesus the opportunity to be amazed by your faith and your trust in him? Father, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful for this time. We are grateful for this season in the history of our church. And Lord, in a time of uncertainty, you have given us an amazing opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. It is my prayer, Lord. It is my desire that we will make a real difference in somebody's life. That we, will, that we will proceed with a fierce, unwavering faith for the simple fact of who you are, the reality that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, worthy of our allegiance, worthy of our trust. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.